for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Thanks for tuning in into another episode of Agile FM. And today, I'm here with Jeff Gotthelf, who is the author of a uh, best-selling book of Lean UX. But he has now um, recently just um, released another book. It's called Sense and Response, How Successful Organizations Listen to Customers and Create New Products Continuously. That book was written with Josh Seiden, as so was the first book. Jeff is a uh, thought leader in lean thinking. He's a design evangelist. He's an author, speaker, uh, especially around product development and design. His uh, Twitter handle is jboogie, that is J-B-O-O-G-I-E, and his website is Jeff Godhealth, but I'm pretty sure, Jeff, for many, many of those listeners, you do not need an introduction. However, what's new is that you just recently moved to Europe, to Barcelona. Um, is this because of the good tapas? I <laughs> say, hey, Joe, uh, it's, great, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, really interesting. Uh, look, I mean, the material that I write about I genuinely try to live that way too, not not to the extent of being super nerdy, but you know there there is a, a an applicability to lean thinking to your life, right? You run small experiments, and if they work out, you take bigger risks. And you know, I'm I'm married, and I have kids, and I've got a a, a coaching and consulting business as a that that I run on my own. And, uh, you know, my first hypothesis was I can support myself as an independent practitioner, as a self-employed practitioner. And for the last couple of years, I've proven that hypothesis out. Now, the next thing is, okay, I can, my, my next hypothesis was that uh, I can run this business um, from, any, from anywhere in the world. And, and my family and I, for years, have talked about relocating somewhere outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. And for four of the last five years, We've run experiments, MVPs, if you will, mm-hmm. where we, we've taken a month out of every summer and taken the kids and have gone to live in another country for that month just to try it out mm-hmm. and to see what we like and what we didn't like. And we've done this in Europe. We've done it down under in uh, New Zealand and Australia. And based on, on what we've learned in these experiments, we fell in love with Spain and we fell in love with Barcelona. And since the initial MVP was successful, the experiment was, was successful, we figured we'd, you know, take, take a bigger risk and, uh, and pick everybody up, and, including the cat, <laughs> and uh, move them over here to, to Barcelona. Wow, awesome. That's a, that's a great story and uh, totally makes sense. For somebody who is so uh, infused in, in agile thinking, I mean, that was a natural, that was a natural selection process for you. Um, you wrote this book, and I want to talk about this new book. Uh, obviously, the Lean UX is uh, best-selling, as I said, but the um, the, the sense and response. Uh, that book, um, you know, some people, some listeners out there might say, "Hey, you know, another business book. Uh, it's about embracing change. We've been doing this since the 1960s. Um, so, what's what's so uh, new about this new world uh, out there? Why is why is sense and response so different? Yeah, the biggest change is that software has consumed the world. That's the key. And, and not just software. Software has been consuming the world, certainly from the 60s as well. But the nature of software has fundamentally changed such that it is, frankly, it's irresponsible not to sense and response. So what do I mean by that? I mean, uh, software has become continuous. 
in the last 10 years or so, the whole DevOps movement has changed the way that software is deployed and developed. And the capabilities that that's given organizations are tremendous if they choose to take advantage of them. So the fact that you can push code to production, uh, you know, Amazon does it every 11.6 seconds, right? So five times a minute at, at the extreme end of things mm -hmm. um, means that you can learn five times a minute, which means that you can improve the customer experience, the system, the software product, the, the, the service that you're building five times a minute. As, as quickly as you can get ideas into market, that's how quickly you can uh, you know, react and respond. And so you're putting stuff out there, you're sensing the impact that it has on customer behavior, and then you're responding to it. And you're seeing that in the truly disruptive companies uh, mm -hmm. in, in the market right now, across every industry, right? And you know these names, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you any names you've never heard of, right? But like, you know, one of my favorite stories is, is, is Tesla, right? So yeah. Tesla is a software company that happens to make cars. That's, that's what they do, you know? And there's this amazing story of, of Tesla going from a tweet to a feature in production in six days. Josh, Josh Seiden, my co-author, and I wrote a piece about it for MarketWatch where some Tesla owner in California complained to Elon Musk on Twitter that people leave their cars on the chargers when they're done and walk away, and he needs to charge his Tesla, and um, you know, people yeah. have walked away and their car is fully charged. You know, and within six days, so, so Musk reads that tweet, and then within six days, they push a feature out to all the charger stations in the country that says, once your car is full, Every minute that you stay on past full, you get charged money for. Wow. And, and there's, there's almost no company in the world, certainly, certainly no automotive company in the world, that can match that level of responsiveness. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, the, that's the key here. The key is that technology has not only consumed the world, but the nature of technology has changed, and it gives us tremendous competitive advantage if we, take, if we actually make use of this. Right. I mean, I was wondering about that feature, actually. Uh, now you mentioned that it makes total sense that there is a solution to that. But I was actually wondering about that as I saw several um, electric cars um, lined up for, for charging, right, and uh, creating this, this blocker. Awesome. Great example, um, uh, Jeff. Business and technology is, is intertwined. Uh, yes. I, I myself, I'm... You know, this is this is the reason why I'm in IT. I believe that IT can make the business world easier, more efficient, less painful for um, for people um, uh, doing their work and focusing on the creative aspects of work, right? But uh, what do you think is the long term impact of of exactly what you just described? Let's say with the with the Amazon um, example or with the Tesla example. What do you think is the long term impact here? I mean, this is well, obviously, in that part of the um, evolution, we are pretty early. The, the organizations that will win in, in this reality are the organizations that take advantage of this. And what you'll see is a fundamental shift in the way those organizations plan work, in the way that, in, in who they hire. And I'm, ta I'm not talking about specifically individuals, but the kind of, of, of skill sets that they're looking for, in how they staff those folks and ultimately how they incentivize those folks. You're going to see companies that are seemingly not technology companies reorganize 
as tech companies. You're seeing this again. One of the, one of the more public case studies that's happening right now in financial services is ING, uh, the massive Dutch bank. Right? They are taking a top-down, digital-first approach to their business, and in doing so, you know, they took the the 3,500 people who work at headquarters in Amsterdam and made everybody re-interview for their jobs. Mm. Right? For essentially, do, does what you do or the way that you do it fit in our new reality and to be very specific they were explicit in what their new reality was they 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 they've said this publicly several times it's on youtube on videos of their ctos and their cio talking about this they said we are not a bank anymore we are a software company that happens to work in the financial services sector mm -hmm. and so that's the uh that's the key here. The key is, what does it mean to reassess your business as a software-based business? And the impact of that is you're going to see it in organizational design, in structure, in incentives, in planning, in success criteria. Um, it, 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 it permeates the way we do business. Right. Is, uh, is Sense and uh, Respond, is that for IT organizations only? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The book was written as uh, I'm going to be a little tongue in cheek here, Joe. Yeah. Uh, the, book, the book was written as a response to the feedback that Josh and I sensed from Lean UX. So we wrote Lean UX as practitioners, as as team leaders and individual contributors on software teams, as software designers, and the feedback. And Lean UX was a res a response to how do we do design in an increasingly agile world. The feedback from the folks who read Lean UX, and to be clear, it wasn't just designers who read it, it was designers, product managers, engineers, leaders, etc. They all said the same thing. They said, this is great. We want to work this way. My boss won't let me work this way. Or my company doesn't work this way. Mm -hmm. And so Sense and Respond was a response to that feedback, which said, we have to write a book for the bosses. And we have to make the case for creating the kind of culture and the kind of environment that supports an agile and lean way of working. Mm -hmm. And so Sense and Respond is designed for, for managers and executives at any company. And the book is really divided into two sections. The first section says you're in the software business. Software is your business, and that's how you scale, and that's how you compete, and that's how you win in the 21st century. And we have examples from every domain and every industry that we could, that we could find a case study for. I mean, literally everything from financial services to agriculture, to fashion, to retail, to automotive and government and everything in between so that no one could come back to us and say, well, that's great, but I work in healthcare, or that's great, but I work in government. So mm -hmm. we've, got, we've got case studies to, to really kind of say, look, you are in the software business. It doesn't matter what you do. And that's the first half of the book. And then the second half of the book says, okay, executive, C-level, VP, manager, whatever, right? Now that we've convinced you that you're in a software business, here's how things need to change. How's the way that you work, the way that you lead, the way that you manage to support a, you know, a successful software-based business? And we talk about um, planning and finance and staffing and hiring and incentive structures and all of these components that make companies successful. And, and that's the key. The book is really right. written for any manager uh, in, in, a, in a company, in a high growth or large company. All right. Uh, just to uh, just to uh, back up your um, software business uh, claim, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I have um, 
had conversations with folks, uh, Wall Street and um, in New York, and, and people, you know, when you know applied certain agile practices, and we really tried to push the the envelope. Uh, we got responses such as, uh, "We're a bank, not a software company." Right. And uh, you know, and I, I was asking, could you do the trades, uh, you know, by on paper, or do you need a software system for that? And then the answer is clear: it's you need a software system. This would be technically right. impossible to do this by hand. Um, so you are in a software business. I couldn't agree more um, with that. So the, the question is really: when we hear answers like this, um, are we closing our eyes towards the important things here? I mean, I, I remember. Uh, uh, you know, you know, I'm dating myself here, but in the 1990s, I, late 1990s, I, I heard people say this internet is not going to take off. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I can't, look, I can't see. I mean, and again, I, we really did our best to, to make the strongest possible case we could for, um, for, for convincing everybody that they're in the software business. But th- it, it's, it's impossible to... Ignore the fact that this is how people consume information. This is how people expect to interact with your business. And it doesn't matter how big or small your business is. I was, uh, I was doing a, ra- a radio interview recently with, with someone. And um, you know, he was talking about in, in the town where he lives, there are two competing Chinese restaurants. He lives in a small town in the south somewhere. And there's two competing Chinese restaurants. And the one that he likes better is not on his way home. And so he told, you know, he suggested to the woman, he said, look, why don't you communicate with me and with others with a, an email newsletter, right? Mm-hmm. That's something along those lines. Just, just take, an, take an initiative to at least create some kind of a, a two-way conversation with your market because I always forget to go to your restaurant because it's not on my way home. And the owner of that restaurant chose not to do that, and he continues to forget to frequent her business. Now, that, that, that's a, that's a, it seems trivial, but, but you can scale that up right into, into any kind of company, and it's about creating that two-way conversation with the customer. Mm-hmm. And it, it's an active conversation. It's a passive conversation. And then most importantly, it's about reacting to it. And there's no way you can say this, is not, this doesn't affect us. I just can't, can't see it. Right. And I, I, I think everybody out there listening to this, because I could, you know, has an example like the Chinese restaurant here. Very similar, right? You live with something maybe a little bit less perfect than the other option, but it's more convenient. But at mm-hmm. some, some point, somebody will fill the gap and comes in and, uh, and presents a better solution on the way home. And, uh, and people would go away from that business. I mean, you see businesses fail and succeed and, and flourish out of that. Perfect. Um, Jeff, is there... Is there an end to all that speed or rate of change? Is there anything you see? Um, like, what are the limits of this? I think the limits are going to be the our capability as as humans to to respond to this, right? So I, I said earlier that Amazon pushes code to production every eleven point six seconds, right? And that we can respond at that same pace. Now there there are obviously um, automated. Uh, optimizations mm-hmm. that can be made at that speed to adjust algorithms and things of that nature, but you know, and, and, and any content management systems and, and things like that. But I think the our ability to uh, remarkably affect the customer experience are ultimately limited with humans' ability to digest that information and then contribute humanity. To, to that conversation because I, I want to be clear that that's, we, we can't lose that mm-hmm. from the conversation. So just because we can ship 
sense and respond five times a minute, it doesn't mean that we leave it all up to the machines to decide how to best mm-hmm. optimize these customer experiences, right? That's, this, is, this is where brands come into play. This is where values come into play. This is where design comes into play. This is where voice comes into play, um, mm-hmm. ethics, uh, all of these components. And so I think, I think the limits are our ability as humans to, to contribute to, the, to the, the quantitative data that we're seeing and then making those decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, you do speak a lot at uh, conferences. You, have, you offer workshops, um, uh, courses, training courses, and so on. What are common questions you're getting out there these days? The, you know, the most common question is how do we uh, get our executives to refocus their measures of success from outputs to outcomes. So it's a lot of folks like Jeff Patton and myself and Josh Seiden and others that talk about outputs and outcomes, right? Outputs being the stuff that we make, features and so forth, and outcomes being the change in customer behavior that we see after deploying these features, this output. Mm-hmm. Now, the traditional measure of success for most organizations, right, the, the traditional definition of done and agile even is works as designed, right? We shipped it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the change that, that certainly that, that I teach my clients and I coach my clients on is to, to change their measure of success to outcomes. Did we positively impact customer behavior? Did we make them more successful? And it's an extremely difficult shift for organizations to make. And so the questions that I hear all the time is how do you do that? How do you get um, executives to care about these things? Because again, it, the, the history here is what drives modern thinking. The history is manufacturing, industrial era management tactics, right? Where mm-hmm. we were making physical things. And as managers, we were taught and incentivized to make more stuff at lower cost. Now, software is not, doesn't work that way. Software is a system. Software is, it's a continuously improving, continuously optimizable system. And so we need to make those optimizations mm-hmm. based on how customers are behaving. And so those are the questions. The question is, how do you do that? How do you get people to actually care about this? How do you get them to change the way that they assign work? How do you get them to incentivize us differently? Mm-hmm. Those are by far the most popular questions. Right, and that would be part two of your book. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and it, it's, it's, it's in the book, but really, again, to, to, to us, it's, it's, and in fact, I wrote, the, I wrote about this in my newsletter last month, the one that went out in July, is, is I run exercises with executives when I, in, in my coaching gigs uh, to humanize their traditional metrics, so mm-hmm. sales metrics, you know, revenue metrics, uh, retention metrics, that type of thing. Um, how do you humanize those, right? And, we, and we, what we try to do is we try to extrapolate what are the customer behaviors that drive sales, And then what are the customer behaviors that drive those customer behaviors? And then we look at those and we say, okay, and which behaviors do we actually care about over the Mm -hmm. next quarter or the next half? And then let's get teams to focus on optimizing these changes. And that's the, you know, that's the very, very simplistic and short way of of talking about it. But it's it's really trying to tie all of these traditional uh, business health metrics, these impact level Mm -hmm. metrics, to customer behavior and saying, look, these behaviors drive this. So let's talk about which behaviors you want to optimize for. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned sales as an, as an example, right? We see um, in, the, in the agile world out there, we see a lot of conferences pop up uh, that have uh, 
agile outside of the IT, right? So th this is a very common trend we are seeing right now here, at least in the US, agile outside of IT, what kind of industries could be impacted, and I just take sales, for example, or HR and so forth. Um, and uh, do you do you share that trend? I mean, you, you're still in the US uh, frequently, right? Um, mm. You're based out of, of Europe now, but do you, do you share that trend that there's an, a strong interest in how to apply agile, possibly lean practices um, outside of IT? Yes. I, so, so A, yes, it, that movement needs to be embraced more fully. Um, and B, it, ha it has to happen for these transformations to take place. So if you've noticed, there's a theme in the conversation that we've been having, mm -hmm. and it always rolls back to incentives, right? Incentive structures. Incentive is, is an HR uh, component, right? And how do we incentivize people? How do we promote them? How do we do performance management? Um, you know, one of my clients over the last couple of years has, has done a tremendous, it's, it's one of the bigger financial institutions in the U.S., um, has done a tremendous job at transforming into a more nimble, more agile organization. And yet their performance management system still rewards people for the old behaviors. So they speak one language and they reward a different language, the old language. Right? Without bringing that, that agile mindset, that agile philosophy, that lean philosophy to HR, to finance, to sales, um, the, the, the transformations that are happening in the, in the tech groups and the IT groups and the product teams um, will only go so far. It, it won't have the kind of impact that these organizations are looking for mm. um, unless we get these other folks on board and really understanding what it means to manage an agile organization, not just an agile product organization, but right. an agile company. What do, you, what do you think the impact will be of that? If, let's say, fast forwarding um, a few months or years down the road, what do you think we're going to see? What, how does an organization may look like? Uh, than compared to today. I'm just looking at org charts here and so forth. Yeah, I, so I think you see more uh, cr uh, cross-functional cr cross teams working together. So, so people from different disciplines, instead of working in their silos, mm -hmm. working much more clearly together, um, winning or losing incentivized as a team, and the incentive structures being based on customer success. So that's to me. That's that's to me. That's the ideal end state. So you see these companies that are building these these um, uh, empowered, customer centric, cross functional pods of uh, subject matter experts, marketers, product people, tech people, you know, etc. Um, focusing on making customers successful, mm -hmm. measuring their efforts in terms of customer success, and being rewarded for making those customers successful. And that's that's to me that's that's the ideal uh, uh, state for this. And I think that that's that's if we get there, that's a tremendous step forward. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeff, uh, you just mentioned end state, right? And uh, mm -hmm. even this podcast needs to come to an end. Uh, <laughs> um, I think we touched on some really important topics, and um, uh, very good always to uh, hear your opinion about these things uh, going on in this world. Um, I just want to thank you for, for your time um, and uh, also good luck with the book, with your talks and uh, your, your presentations around this topic. I think uh, for many agilists listening to this podcast from the IT world and they have practiced IT and they're very familiar with IT, they can't wait until the other business units pop, uh, try and, and uh, apply these practices in their unit as well to make it a fully agile culture. 
Well, I, I, would, I would highly recommend that they give sense and respond to those people because that's exactly the case that we're making exactly. for those people. So, uh, But I appreciate you having me again, Joe. This is terrific. It's always good to chat with you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.